Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So, I'm excited today to continue uh, the sermon series that we have been in called, Huh? Turn to someone, give them your best huh face. Like, your best, huh? What? Your best huh face. Now turn to your second choice. Turn to your second choice and give them your best huh face. Got some good huh, we got some good huh faces going on. This series has been all about Jesus's words that sometimes we pass over, but that Jesus said that we can sometimes skip over because we don't like them or because some of us just don't, don't possibly know Jesus said them. The thing is this, we cannot compartmentalize Jesus. We like to focus on some of those things that Jesus said that make us all warm and fuzzy. Things like, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed, you know, and, and, and it's like, yes, Jesus said those things, but there were some other things that Jesus said and Jesus encouraged us with and Jesus called us to that sometimes as Christ followers, we can kind of just ignore and we can compartmentalize Jesus into this. Here's the thing, making him into what we want him to be. And many people do that. They take Jesus and put him in their box and keep him here. So what we have been trying to do with this series is we've been trying to get Jesus out of our box. Come on, somebody. Get Jesus out of our box and look at some of the almost shocking, crazy, weird things that Jesus said. Now, I know this, right? You come in here each Sunday from crazy weeks. You're working. You got your crazy family. Many of you have your crazy kids. And you might come into this place tired, weary, anxious, and you got a million things going through your head about what you got coming up this coming week. You got family coming in town. It's th- Can you believe it's Thanksgiving. Like, what in the world? We're at Thanksgiving. Like, it's, it's, it's just crazy. So I know every person here, you are at a different place, a different spot. You have stuff going on. Like, I know many, like, all of us come in here in different places, mentally, physically, spiritually, psychologically. And my prayer for us today is that no matter where you're at, you would engage and you would, you would be here in this moment. Because I believe this, this book has the power. If we let God's word read us, if we engage God's word and we just don't come and, and just like hear and, 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 and just say that was a good sermon or hear and clap or hear and shout, but we actually hear the word and then go and do the word, There's so much power in not just hearing it, but saying, how can I apply this to my life right here, right now, where I'm at, and actually go and do it? And that is what separates, man. It's it's like my prayer every single week is that you just would not hear a good sermon. My prayer is that you would not just come in here and check some sort of box and said, okay, I did my religious duty. I went to church. My prayer is that you, is that I would open up God's word for you by his Holy Spirit and it would speak to you wherever you are and it would challenge you and it would change you and you would not conform God's word to what you want, but you would conform yourself to what God's standard is for us because we believe his way 
is the best way. We believe that God wants the best for us. And so look, I'm just gonna pray and, and I'm just gonna end and, and, I'm, not, and I'm just gonna ask that, that God would speak to you today. That no matter what you have going through your head, stresses you have, financially, maritally, relationally, all of the different things that we walk in, in here with, that by God's grace, we would, we would calm that and we would engage and we would say, God, speak to me and change me and challenge me. I wanna be more like you, amen? Let's lift up hands, can we? Jesus, we just, um, God, right now come before you and we just ask that as we open up your word today that our hearts would be open and that it would read us and it would challenge us. But God, ultimately, that we wouldn't just hear today, but we would be doers of God's word. We would be hearers and doers. God, that we would put feet to our faith, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't just come in here and just hear a good sermon but that we would hear, God, your word. God, we surrender to you today. And God, help the Jags beat the Steelers for the love of God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. My Jaguars, I don't know what happened. We beat the Patriots and then just decided, oh, our season's over. Let's just, uh, we won the early season Super Bowl. Let's just forget playing the rest of the season. Matthew chapter 19, we're gonna look at one of Jesus' huh statements. Um, this is Jesus here. In my Bible, the heading here says, the, uh, the rich young ruler. The rich young, so think about a rich young ruler, whatever that looks like in your mind. Somebody really successful, wealthy, got it together, made good investments, has nice clothes on, very, 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 you know, very, very well put together, good-looking family. They got good photos on Facebook. They've got well-done photography on Facebook. Their kids are always smiling. Kids are always happy. They're, they're kind of the prototypical family, right? So the rich, young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he says this. I don't think I... Uh, can you guys go back to verse number 16? There we go. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. So he says, Jesus, I have done the top 10 list. If you're wanting to know, have I kept and lived the top 10 this guy has done it. Yes. He, but then he says, well, what, what do I still lack? What haven't I done? Is there anything that I haven't done yet to earn eternal life? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away and sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Some of y'all are like, well, I'm glad he's not talking about me. <laughs> we'll get to that later. It's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel, all right, Jesus, you're bringing in camels now, to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What? Jesus, like, you, you're bringing in camels and needles? What in the world is going on here? Now, whenever you read the Bible, and Jesus tells 
parables like this, we need to make sure we put ourselves in the story. That we just don't say, well, that was for the rich young ruler. We have to say, what part of the rich young ruler is in us? And how does what Jesus say apply to us? Because I think if we're honest, we would all love to be rich young, rich young rulers. That's what our culture wants. How can we get richer? How can we get younger? And how can we be in charge? So maybe you're not there. Maybe you're a poor, poor older nobody. No, I'm just kidding. That would be me. But it's like, maybe you're not a rich, young ruler, but maybe that's what you desire to be. Someone who's rich, who's young, and who's in charge. I think if we're honest, we all have that desire. So we need to find ourselves in this story. And there are some things that, that, that Jesus comes and says to the rich, young ruler that I think shows us a few things in this interaction here. First off, I think we kind of need to, to see here in the progression of this story, we see when it comes to Jesus, Jesus isn't looking for part of you. He's looking for all of you. In other words, this, with Jesus, it's all in. And that's what I'm, something that I'm passionate about letting our church know, week in and week out, that when we follow Jesus, we are not saying, hey, Jesus, you can have this part of, of me, but this part I'm going to hold back. With Jesus, I mean, here's the thing. I know we all take steps. It's a journey of faith, yes. But ultimately, what Jesus wants, he wants you all in. Why? Because Jesus did not say, I came to save part of you. He said, I came to save you. And what we typically like to do is compartmentalize the parts of Jesus that we want to give him. Jesus, I'll, I'll give you a few good works, but my sexuality is off limits. Jesus, I'll give you a few good works, but my money, mm, it's mine. Thank you. It's like, I'll give you something, but Jesus, just to let you know, this is going to be mine. And Jesus did not put it up for debate. Jesus said, when you come to him, Jesus used this, this really churchy word, repent. And I know many of you have probably heard that, and you just think that means feeling sorry for your sins. But that word actually means this. It means to rethink everything. When Jesus said, repent, he wasn't just saying, feel sorry for what you do. Jesus was saying, I came to help you rethink everything about you, the world, and others. And you see that in Jesus' teaching. That Jesus came in and he taught stuff that wasn't popular. That people weren't like, oh, that song makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Because Jesus did not come to make people feel good. He came to challenge their very thought process of how they see and view the world. And so when Jesus said, rethink everything, he's saying, I just didn't come to kind of help you change a few thoughts. I came to blow your thoughts up and put in you the new way, the new thing that God is doing in this planet and through Jesus. And so we've got to see, if we're going to follow Jesus, this, this rich young guy, he wanted to take Jesus and conform Jesus to him. Instead of saying, Jesus, I want to conform to you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How am I going to get there? Did you see everything was all about him? It, it wasn't, God, how can you use me to make the world better? How can you work through me? It was just, how can I get past this earthly stuff and get eternal life? He wanted to add Jesus to his life instead of making Jesus the center. And many Christians do this. How can I get eternal life? What do I got to do to get a get out of hell free card? What do I got to do just to make sure I meet the requirements to get to heaven? 
but they don't want to change anything about the way they live here. And what we got to see, hell is, I mean, do you know what hell is? Like, I know people say fire and devil with a pitchfork and, and, and all this cartoonist stuff. Let me tell you what hell is. Hell is where God gives you what you want. Hell is where C.S. C.S. Lewis said, said this. God will say to us two things. Or we're going to say to God two things. Your will be done or my will be done. And really hell is simply you saying, I want my way over God's way. It's simply what it is. We can make hell out to be a bunch of different things, but ultimately it is the place where, where selfishness rules and selfishness reigns. We even say this, hell on earth. You know what hell on earth is? It's full of selfishness. It's full of greed. It's full of abusing power. It's full of the rich abusing the poor, the strong abusing the, the weak. Whenever we say hell on, hell on earth, that's what we say, right? That's what hell is also eternally. Romans 12 to Paul, man, he, he was encouraging people, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Paul is just basically echoing Jesus' thing of rethinking everything. Part of being all in for Jesus is saying, God, I give you my mind, how I think about sex, money, relationships, motives, equality, justice, power, our city, communities, families. We take all of those things and say, Jesus, I need you to help me rethink everything according to your standards and what you think is best. Why? Because I'm not just making you a part of my life. I'm making you the center of my life. Jesus wasn't interested in part of him. He wanted all of him. But Jesus got to the very core of what his thing was. He wanted to know what he could do Jesus said, I'm not just concerned about what you do to get into heaven. I'm more concerned about who you are. And when you dig below the surface, what ultimately holds the keys to your heart is your stuff. He was more concerned. And here's the thing. Christianity, the second point says, Christianity isn't something you do. It's something you receive. See, some of you have lived your whole life thinking you're going to earn your way into heaven. You're going to earn your way into a right status with God. If you just do enough good things, if you say, I kept the commandments, top 10 list, I got it. Did all of these things, I'm going to earn my way. He was like, what could I do? But that is, a, that is the total misunderstanding of, Christ, of Christianity is saying, what do I need to do to get something from God? Because the bottom line is this, there's, and this might sound weird, there's nothing you could do to earn God's approval. Nothing. You could give your life as a daggone martyr, you could give your every cent you have, every second of your life, you could do it serving poor people. You could, there's nothing you could do to earn the approval and love of God. Nothing. Whenever we think we can earn it, then that's when what we do, even good things, become burdens. Well, I've got to do this so I don't go to hell. I've got to do this so he doesn't throw me into the pit. I got to give my money. I got to give my time. I got to, and it just becomes duty instead of delight. But what Jesus said, he said, I'm going to live the life you could not live. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to live the life you could not live. He lived a perfect, sinless life that you could not live. He died a death that you deserved. 
on the cross in your place and for your sins. But he didn't just go into the grave. He came out of the grave with resurrection life. He overcame Satan, sin, and death. And now because he earned it, because he did what you couldn't do, he freely gives you the life and the love that you could not earn. So now whenever we say this, you, you hear people saying, you're saved by grace through faith. What does that mean? By grace means you can't earn it. Through faith means you simply accept it. And then what you do, see, this is what is so different about Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is about what you do. Muslims, like, God bless them. They live their lives in constant fear of not knowing where they stand with their God. They live in constant fear. I've got to do enough good. Oh, I've got to love people. I've got to do, why? Because if they don't, they don't know where they're going. But with Christianity, it's different. If you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross for your sins, you know. And there's fruit that comes from your life that proves the faith and trust you have in Jesus. So here, here's the thing. Christianity isn't something you, that you do. It's simply something you receive. And Jesus, as you freely re receive it, then you're free to give. Instead of saying, I got to do this. I have to do this. I've got to be nice to people that I don't like. I got to give money to uh, just. Uh. Instead of it being that, what it becomes now is, oh, my God, I get to. God, I get to serve. I get to give. Why? Because you've been given everything. So it becomes a delight and an overflow of the grace, mercy, and love and forgiveness and hope that you have in Christ. It overflows out of the, what you've been freely given. Now you give. Do you see the difference? And this guy said, what do I got to do? It was like he was saying, give me something to do. Give me a box to check. Give me something that I can earn my way in. And this is hard in our country, y'all, because our country, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. No idea what that means, but cool. No idea. But we earn our way success. The American dream. You start from the bottom, pursue happiness, and you do you. Get on your grind. Make it happen. Could it be the uh, American dream is actually God's nightmare? Could it be the American dream is actually God's nightmare? Where you earn your way. You earn. The American dream doesn't work in God's economy. In God's saving economy. You know what you do? You throw up the white. Do you know how it, it works in God's economy? You simply open your arms. And you receive the gift you could not earn. And it's freely given. And then because it was freely given to you, you freely give because you didn't earn it. When you earn it, then you give people, I'm not giving you nothing unless you do this, 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 this. Because you give what you've been given. And if you have a God that you're trying to, to appease and satisfy by, by what you do, you'll treat other people the same way. But with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not telling me one more thing I can do. It's simply open up your arms and receive. Also, what we see is sometimes what we see in this story, sometimes what we see, what is best for us will hurt the most. We can look at this story and think, man, Jesus was harsh, yo. Jesus was harsh. Like Jesus said, yo, go sow everything. 
give to the poor. Like, this dude was bowling. Like, this is, I mean, this dude had stuff. It wasn't just like one or two cars. I mean, this guy, it said he walked away grieving because he walked away with great wealth. There is a different account of this story, actually, in, in Mark 10. Different, I mean, a different perspective on this story that Mark wrote down that was different than Matthew's to where Mark said that whenever Jesus looked at him, Mark's, Mark's version said Jesus looked at him in love, with love, and then told him, dude, go sell your stuff and follow me. You want real life? Go sell your stuff and follow me. But I, I think sometimes we can think of it like Jesus is just trying to get money from him. And we can feel that way, right? Like God's just trying to get something from us. But could it be that Jesus saw into this young man's heart and can tell that money, wealth, and possessions was his God? And if he didn't deal with this idol he had in his heart, it would lead to his ultimate destruction. And that's what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was going above, going beneath the surface of what this guy looked like, rich young ruler, right? Got it together. And we can sometimes do this too. We can look on the outside, see it's all good. The Facebook pictures are all nice, pretty, and great. But under the surface, there is a broken, hurting, enslaved person that has worked their whole life to project this image to everyone else like everything is okay when on the inside they are enslaved by idols and i believe that jesus looked into this guy's soul and didn't just tell him sell all your stuff go follow give it up follow me i believe it was more like a bro i don't know if he said bro but bro let me let me tell you, man, what's best for you? And I need you to listen to me. I need you to look me in the eye. I love you. I care for you. I want the best for you. I created you. I know you best. And what your heart needs is not more stuff. Your heart needs a savior. And these things, your money, your wealth, and, and your bank account, your status, and your possessions are ruling your heart, and they're ruining you from the inside. And I'm begging you. He said he looked at him in love. I'm begging you, man. Get rid of the idol in your heart because it will ultimately lead to your destruction. That's what I hear. I don't hear like a Jesus saying, go and sell yourself to prove yourself. Prove yourself worthy of my love. I see it as Jesus saying, I know what's going to lead you to destruction. And I don't want you to be enslaved. How it came to so you could have life and life abundantly. And I believe that ultimately, when, but see, for us, it might not be money. And that's how we know what the idols of our hearts are. Is the thing that if Jesus came up to you and said, drop it, you would go away grieving. It might not be money. I'm not sure what your idol is. I'm not sure what that thing in your life is that, that if Jesus asked you to lay it down, you would be like, like I was looking for something to do. Then he got all spiritual on me. Right? We can know the idols of our hearts whenever, when, where if Jesus asked us to give up, we'd walk away grieving. 
So Jesus talks, he talks with this guy, but then he dives into something that just like, he goes into this teaching with his disciples where he says, it's hard for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Like, plot twist. Like, you got this guy, then he talks with his disciples privately, and he says, let me tell you just how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. And like I said earlier, a lot of y'all are like, thank God he's not talking about me. Because none of us thinks we're rich. None of us. Like, I can guarantee if you were here today, none of you would classify yourself as being the person in this story that Jesus is talking about. But I think it's sincerely important for us to realize a couple things. First off, our world isn't the world. Say that one more time. Our world, I mean, y'all can say it with me too. I wasn't saying that, but if y'all want to say it with me, go ahead. Let's let's say it with me. Our world isn't the world, okay? So I know in our world, we see people richer than us, so we would automatically classify ourselves as not being rich because we've created this sort of like system in our own worlds of saying this person's rich, this person's isn't. But at the same time, we have to understand our world isn't the world. And I just want to give you a little bit of perspective here. And this is not to throw guilt, not to throw shade. I know some of y'all think, oh, Lord, John's just going to make us feel bad. No, you know what? Some, the, 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 the truth will set you free, but sometimes it'll hurt you first. And my prayer is this, is, is, is that we would just kind of have some truth opened up to us. All right, just... World Bank stats, so these are kind of worldwide economical stats from the World Bank. Okay, one billion people in the world live on less than $1 per day. Two billion others live on less than $2 per day. 26,000 children will die because of starvation today. 37% of of the world lives on $825 per year. 38% of the world live on between $826 and $3,255. 9% of the world lives on between $3,256 and $10,065. Um, 16% of the world lives on uh, more than $10,066. The average Christian household income in, in the United States is $42,400. This is in the top 2.5% of the richest people in the world. Okay? Now, I don't tell you that, like I said, to to make you feel bad, but just to give you a little bit of perspective, right? Also, too, think about it this way. In the United States, we make sports out of what other people die from. You know, hot dog eating contests. They're ridiculous. They, like, slug down 65 Nathans hot dogs in a span of, like, 10 minutes. And the things that we make sports out of, 26,000 children will die from. We actually have in our house extra refrigerators where we store extra food. One of the biggest health issues in this country is, is obesity, where there is too much good food to eat. And I get it, it's hard. I mean, you know, we're feeding you Krispy Kreme donuts out there. We're just straight hypocrites. <laughs> that, that's it. Hum, I want hummus, carrots. Hummus, carrots. Um, 
<laughs> celery, tomatoes, spinach. Have a new diet. But we, we, our biggest issue is we have too much. Think about it. 800 million people today won't eat. People have done estimates of what it would cost to give everybody in the world food, clothing, meeting basic necessities, taking out the whole idea of getting it to them, right? But just, but just to provide food, clothing, and basic necessities for everyone in, in need in the world, they said it would cost about $20 billion. That's how much the United States spends each year on ice cream. The great theologian, Jay-Z, <laughs> talked about his experience in Africa. Back in 2006, Jay-Z, he took a trip out there where he went out there to kind of like, um, you know, Jay-Z's been ridiculously blessed. And I mean, multi, and I mean multi-millionaire. And Jay-Z said, I want to give myself to a world cause. So what he did is, is he went to Africa where there's hundreds of millions of people. I believe there's one billion people worldwide that don't have access to clean drinking water. So one, one of his goals is, is, is to basically give his wealth and give his inheritance to helping people get access to water. And while he was over, over there, Jay-Z said this quote. He said, it made me realize that as tough as we had it, and there are tough neighborhoods in the places that I grew up. He's talking about the New York City hood. He's, he said, and there are tough neighborhoods in the places that I grew up, but that's not the bottom, he said. You know, they say, I'm from the bottom. Start from the bottom, now, now we're here. And then you don't know that song. Uh, it's, not, it's not really the bottom because you have water and roads that are paved, and you can go to school, and you don't have to play out in open sewage. Now that's the hood. These are Jay-Z's words. The United States is 6% of the world's population, yet we consume 40% of its resources. 8% of people in the world own a car. If you have a car, I don't care what kind it is. You're in the top 92%. Now, you say, John, you, you've done a great job of making me feel bad. Take up the offering. I'll put a 20 in. It's like, can we just like move this thing along quick and get over it? Yeah, I feel bad. Okay. Great. You know, it's, it's like, but here's, here's the thing. I'm not, I don't say that stuff to make you feel bad. I don't, I don't say that stuff for any other reason than to see when Jesus is saying he's talking to the rich, he's talking to me. And he's talking to you. He's talking to the United States. So it's crazy thing that because of our culture, there is an inherent danger in our abundance. I believe that, honestly, one of the biggest obstacles in our country to, to Jesus is our wealth and abundance. Because in many ways, money preaches to the heart the same thing that God promises. Identity, safety, security, hope, joy, purpose. You see in Scripture, there's common themes. The Old Testament, we see this heavily, where Israel, God's chosen people, when they had abundance, their heart shifted from putting their trust in the provider to the provision. Their heart 
shifted and moved from the one that provided it to who prov- to what they provided. And if we're not careful, this will be us. And in many ways, it is. If we are completely honest, y'all, let's just be honest. In this country, it's easy to have this as a blind spot. Any, gen- any generation out, out, out there has the potential for blind spots. Think about it. In this country, a person that was black could not drink from a water fountain. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, how in the world could we miss that? Blind spot. And it's, it's easy for, for generations of people. And really, honestly, one guy said this, Francis Chan said this, that I thought was really profound and really, really good. What this generation of Christianity will look back on is, did we really think that serving God would give us a Benz? Did we really think serving God entitled us to a big house? Entitles, we've, we've even given it a name, prosperity theology. Where we say, if I do this, God will give me this. But, but then at the same time, too, we could go to the total opposite end, poverty theology. We could think, if I'm poor, I'm more spiritual. Which, which that's, that's not God. You add any adjective to the gospel, it's a false gospel. Poverty or prosperity. Being poor, doesn't, being poor does, does not make you more holy. Being rich doesn't make you more holy. You, 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 can have, you can have righteous poor people and you can have righteous rich people. You can have unrighteous poor people and unrighteous rich people. But we've got to make sure that for us in living in this culture that this is not a blind spot for us because with Jesus, he said this, Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God in money. You can't do it. That's why 25% of Jesus' teachings were, were about money, wealth, and possessions. That would be like me. Every foe that I'd preach, we talking about money. Some of y'all would leave. <laughs> right? But that was Jesus. He said every, 25% talked about those sorts of things. For Jesus, money wasn't one idol among others. It wasn't one idol among many equals. Jesus never spoke of any other God in the way he spoke of money. He singled it out as the direct competitor to God. He never contrasted the idols of sexuality or knowledge or the earth in such a stark opposition to God. Jesus never said you can't serve sexuality and God or knowledge and God, but he did say you cannot serve God and money. So how do we be good rich people? I don't care. I I, I know in this room you you might be in a, a lot of debt. There's the thing, I'm, I'm not putting down your financial situation right now. Because honestly, I believe this. God's principles lead to life. That as you work hard and you get a good wage, God gives you that graciously. You are then to be what? Generous, pay, pay your bills, make sure you save for the future, make sure your family is taken care of. Like, yes, do, do those sorts of different things. Um, but, but for so many people in our country, you're told that's not good enough. Like, you need more. And the tsunami that is in this culture of more is better, more is better, and Christmas is coming up, y'all. Everything you have right now isn't good enough. That iPhone 8, 
Not good enough. You need a better camera. You need a phone that, can, that has a built-in Keurig app. And you press the Keurig button and coffee starts to come out. Like, you need something better. So this is a good re- reminder for us as we head into this season. And let me tell you, my motive is nothing. I'm preaching God's word. There's no impure motives here. There is, see, because that's what I think people think, pastor talk about money. Things, oh no, wonder what's going on with the church. <laughs> Things ain't good. Things ain't good. Pastor got a motive. I ain't got no motive. I'm telling you what Jesus says. Because if I don't speak to you about money, I'm not a good pastor. I'm not pastoring your soul as something that influences and infects your soul so real and so true. Paul, gave, gave, Paul he gave this command in 1 Timothy to rich people that applies to us. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. He said, command though. So this was a letter that Paul the apostle wrote to his protege, Timothy. So this is like his boy he's training. This is like his guy that he saw a calling in, he invested in him, and he's like, yo, look, I, Paul, or he's like, Timothy, I need to tell you something. I need to give you something to tell the people that you're going to pastor. Let me tell you, command them, tell them. Those who are rich in this present world, not to, plead, not to be arrogant, or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You know, any moment our economy could just flop. And if your hope and your idol is your money and your stuff and your wealth and your possessions, when your idol dies, you'll be hopeless. Your identity will be in it. Your security, your safety will be in all those things that should be in God will go away when your wealth goes. But to put their hope in God, he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is true life. What is Paul, does Paul say it's sin to be rich? Does Paul say it's a sin to have much? But what he does say is, Timothy, you listen to me. You command him to be rich in good deeds. To be rich. Why? Because the side effects of wealth are life-altering. And you tell them, put up guardrails. Put up guardrails that will help them use their riches not for their gain, but for the world's betterment. That they won't worship their wealth, they'll worship with their wealth. That they will live lives to give. They won't live to get, they'll live to give. And here's the thing, as rich people in this room, y'all, we've got to take this command and not just say, oh, that's really, really good, pastor, thank you, great sermon, I'll see you next Sunday. But we've got to to see that Paul commanded us to be generous, not because he wanted our money, but because he didn't want our money to have us. And I believe for so many of you here, I don't care if you're rich or poor, you know, there's some of you here, you, you are very well off, and you're living your life for one more zero. Some of you here, you're not doing well and, and, and you're just consumed and, it's, and it's, it's, it's really not because you don't make enough, it's because you're not managing what you have better. But he says to be generous. What the heck does generous mean? And we gotta hurry. And so I don't know who's coming up to play keys. This means I'm closing, okay? So this means I've gotta hurry up, okay? This is a nudge 
for, for myself to hurry it up, Johnny, okay? What does, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like generous. What does generous even mean, right? It's like, because it can almost be as un, as ununderstandable as being rich. How do you know you're rich? What does that even mean? How do you know if you're generous? Because I think we probably have different definitions of rich and generous, but I believe that there are principles that, that we can do, you know, just, just, just to be generous. And I just want to give you a couple of them to help you be good at being rich. First off, realize it's not yours. And it's, throw everything you own, everything you have into that word, it's. Realize, turn this guy's keyboard on, man. Thanks, he's just sitting up here playing all nice and calm. Realize, there we go. I feel it sounds so much more spiritual with it on. Realize it's not yours. The Holy Spirit speaking to us. No. Realize it's not yours. Realize it's not yours. Say it with me. It's not mine. As a Christ follower, when you start to follow Christ, everything you have is no longer yours. It now belongs to God. And you go from this, get this shift, from being an owner to a steward. From being an owner to a steward, where now you are not the one in charge, you are now managing what you've graciously been given by God for the benefit of the one that entrusted you with it. I'm gonna say that one, I'm, I want you to say that one more time. An owner to a steward is you go from owning to now being entrusted with, entrusted with what God has given you, so now the weight isn't on you, so now you don't spend, you now invest. Do you see that shift? You now go from being a spender because you own it now to being a steward, meaning you invest it. And now your heart is to invest in what is on God's heart. Your heart is to invest in what matters to God. And do you know what matters to God more than anything? People. You know what matters to God more than anything is people. So we've got to first off realize we are a steward. We are not an owner. We do not spend we invest. How would things in your budget shift if you knew what you have was not yours? You're simply a steward. I believe that it would free some of you from this unhealthy desire to get rich and better house and bigger house and better cars and stuff that at the end of the day, you can't pull that in a, in a, in a hearse. Some of you are sacrificing your families at the altar of a dollar. Like your kids, they are more concerned with what they, with you than what you provide for them. And my challenge to you is y'all, what is important to God, let's make important to us, not just with a few things, but with our lives. Secondly, and this is important. Be a proactive, priority, percentage-based giver. There's one P missing. Be a proactive, priority, percentage-based giver. What does this mean, right? So we say things like, and I get the whole like heart of it, of like, 
I give when I feel led. I do something for somebody when I feel led. I get that. But there's no other part of our Christian life that we live that, that way. There's no other part of our, like, do you say, you know, if I'm at my job, I'll feel like I'll do it if I feel led. You know, if, if I feel led, I'll be faithful to my wife if I feel led. You know, I'll, uh, I'll love people when I feel led. We don't live our lives that way. Do you know what we strive to do? We strive to live disciplined lives. And let me tell you this, in this cultural tsunami that we have of get more, get more, what you have isn't good enough, you need more. If we aren't disciplined with our generosity, then we will be overtaken with the cultural tsunami of more, 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 and we'll take our budgets and, and whatever God and trust us with and throw it and give it to stuff that in the light of eternity means nothing to God. So, that's why I say this. Proactive, meaning don't be reactive. Don't be like, well, someone's got to be a real good, someone's got to give me a good talk. I got to see a person standing on the corner. Some of you need to be proactive in your, gener in, in, in your generosity. Don't be reactive. Don't wait for to be led. Make it a discipline. In the same way you discipline other things in your life, make it a discipline. Secondly, a priority, meaning do it now. John, you don't know my story. You don't know how much money I donate. Yeah, 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 I understand. If it's a dollar, do it. If it's $2, do it. If it's $3, do it. Many of us say, well, if I, when I get more, then I'll give. No, you won't. St statistically, even in church world, those that make the less give the most. Because here's the thing, the more you get, the more you want. Or the greater the the pull for that is. And so what do you got to do? You got to put in place intentional disciplines to kind of say, look, I'm not going to wait until then. I'm going to do it now, even if that's five bucks. Think about Jesus' story. The woman that gave one mite. Jesus was sitting there watching the stuff come into the plate. And she was like, she gave one mite, like one cent. And then he had dudes dropping in like Benjamins. Like $100 bills just dropping them in there. He says, yo, look at Look at her. She put in, she put in more than all y'all. Why? Because she gave a greater percentage instead of amount. And that's why I say this. We, we've got to be proactive, priority, percentage-based givers. We're the greatest way to set up guidelines and disciplines of saying, I'm going to be generous with this amount of money every month. I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it towards people the church, I'm going to put it towards what makes a difference and lasts for eternity. This is not just about giving to the church. This is about you being at the grocery store and you see a single mom. You know she's single. She has three or, three or four kids. No wedding ring on. And, and you see her going and God says, you know what, I want you to pay for her groceries. You know what, you got that money saved, saved up. You got that money set aside so you can be generous with discipline. And you can create moments and create opportunities in your life for God to be generous through you because you've done the discipline of creating margin and creating percentages in your budget to be generous. In the same way, God is doing incredible things through this church. We would love for you to partner with us and, and, and say, look, we're, we're gonna invest in the mission of the church and, and what God's doing. We hear stories of life change every single week.
Bottom line is this, guys. The question is this. We can't be nice with greed. We, get, we, we, we have to punch it in the face. Got to punch it because it's consistently coming at us every day. Does your, does your budget shout to the world, Jesus is Lord? Or, do, or does it say, you are Lord? Does it say, your priority matters or God's priorities? The bottom line is this, guys. We don't give to get anything from God. So many people have taught, and I hate it, give to God 10%, and then you'll be overflowing blessings, and then this, that, and the other thing. I, I get that, and I believe that God will bless you, but at the same time, we don't, we don't look at God as being some stock market. We don't look at God as being some like cosmic stock market that we just invest in and God just over, no. We give, why? Because the, the gospel's been given to us. Just like we said, we don't give to get anything from God. We don't give out of guilt. We give because of the gospel. We are generous because of the gospel. We are generous because God was generous from the very beginning. We see God's core character, core nature. God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he took. No, for God so loved the world that he gave. In God's character and in God's nature, he is a giver. Let's stand up, church. And my challenge to us today as we sing this song, all for the one who saved me. That we realize everything we have, everything we do, everything that's, that's been given to us, entrusted to us, it is not about us, it is not for us, it's so God can work through us. You are not an owner, you're a steward. And that as we realize the rich person that Jesus was talking to wasn't just the rich young ruler, it was to the rich young life house Newport News. We see God wants us to take on his standard of generosity. God wants us to lay our idols down. That, that thing in your life that you'd say, oh, I can't give that up, you'd walk away grieving. God wants you to lay that down today. We're gonna sing and ask whatever God wants to do in your hearts today. I believe the Holy Spirit works, the Holy Spirit moves. Whatever you need God do, to do in your life today, whatever business you need to do with God today, we're gonna sing this song as, as we do. Confess what you need to confess. Say what you need to say, take this time and use it as sacred, holy ground where it's just you and God, no one else. Make this time a temple and say, God, speak to me. I give you my heart and do whatever business you need to do with God. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kill Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much and God bless.